even if you don't know exactly what to do, the answer isn't shoving it under the car- carpet and hoping that it will magically go, in, go away. Escalate it, figure it out, take some action, even if it's messy, even if it's clunky, even if it's really imperfect, do something because doing nothing, it just makes you part of the problem. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I am excited to welcome Syra Ganji to the show. She's an expert in toxic workplace fixes. Syra, welcome. Love to hear about your background. Welcome to the show. My name is Syra. I am the principal and lead investigator for a company by the name of HRology. HRology is an investigation and assessment firm for workplaces, and we're based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So I am a licensed independent workplace investigator. So what that means is that I work with companies who have had allegations or complaints of discrimination, harassment, violence, misconduct, or a toxic work environment. I investigate the complaint, I prepare a detailed report, and I share with the leaders some recommendations on how they can carve out a path forward and restore the workplace. I'm also the creator of the Workplace Investigation Bootcamp. It is an online self-paced course for HR professionals designed to help them lead workplace investigations with confidence, ease, integrity, and the best possible outcomes. So Syra and I met based on this shared interest and community alignment to this digital education, trying to scale businesses into places where, you know, it's like we want to share our knowledge, right? And that you can't be everywhere all at the same time when you're a provider or consultant, things of that nature. So Yet, after many years of doing so, you have a lot of knowledge that can, you know, kind of help people. So that's how we met. And I was fascinated with this idea of not just how do we remediate a toxic thing, like by the time you see it from the investigator standpoint, it's too late and something bad has happened. Or many bad things have happened. (laughs) Right. You're probably finding more bad things, not just the one that got reported. So the question then becomes like, hey, what do we know about for leaders that are kind of going, I don't want to end up in that spot. And culture is so important. And how would you advise and think about that? I mean, that's the audience, right? Like, of course, something like what you do is available for remediation and kind of fixing and turnaround. And then you go like, wait a second, what should I have done to avoid this in the first place? Because that ultimately is the nicest outcome to not have to make that call. So, I mean, in terms of how do you avoid a toxic work culture, I think it really comes down to intention, right? How are you leading with intention? How are you communicating 
with employees? How often are you communicating with employees? Are you doing check-ins? Are you asking them how they are as human beings? Are you paying attention to the environment, to those micro shifts when people are having good days, when people are having not so good days, when there are tensions? Are you asking good questions? Are you being curious? Everything about culture is intentional and should be. Because I think the saying goes, you don't always get the culture that you want. You get the culture that you create or the culture that you permit. So a lot of times there are leaders who know that there's something kind of rotten in the state of Denmark going on, but they don't have the skills or the time or the ability to know how to navigate those kinds of issues and conversations. But what I can promise you, just from the lens and the work that I do, is just because you ignore it, won't let it go away, right? It won't go away. If anything, it's going to be snowballing into something much hairier and much bigger, and it's going to impact your bottom line. If you're a leader, you care about your return on investment, you care about productivity, you care about innovation, you care about all of these things, and it is going to impact every single one of those things. I bet you don't run into a lot of people who have reached this critical state who kind of go like, yeah, I knew it was there. I stepped in the hole on purpose. Maybe there are some people that are pretty awful and deserve what they get. But I bet like 80, 90% of business owners, founders, executives kind of go, I, you know, regret that happened. And I don't think about it. I wasn't intentional. Like there, there probably wasn't the intent to go and make things awful. In, in most cases, there are probably some people that in fact did intend to make things awful. Yeah. I mean, mostly, right? 90% of humankind is good, right? But just because you didn't intend for something to happen doesn't mean that it didn't happen and that you're not responsible, right? You know, from my perspective, a leader and an organization's most significant obligation to their employees is to create and maintain a healthy, safe, and respectful work environment. Because respect really is the floor, right? You can't walk without a floor. There's really no trust without respect. There's no creativity without respect. There's no real open, honest conversation and dialogue without respect. So respect really is the floor. And once respect is compromised, then all of these other things are compromised as well. There is a a saying, and for the life of me, I cannot remember who said it, but it says, you know, something to the effect of respect is like air. If you have it, it's, you know, you just go about your day. You don't really think about it. But once it's gone, it's all you can think about. So I've done a very poor job of quoting this beautiful quote, but you understand my good intentions, right? Yeah, right, right. And I mean, you must have just seen some bizarre, interesting, awful things along the way. And I know sometimes in in all kinds of consulting, we end up in this head scratching spot. Like, I cannot believe that people got themselves in this situation because it it seems like, you know, sort of just completely illogical. Do you get a sense when you dig in of root cause? Like, yeah, I totally understand the sort of like, well, we either kind of have respect or we don't. How do people get into these problems in the first place? There's no one clear linear path. It's usually a mix of smaller things that became irritants, that became problems, that became 
deep-rooted toxicity, right? There's no simple playbook to how to create a toxic work environment. It is really accumulation of, of so many different things, right? And, you know, it might be helpful for us to just talk about what is a toxic work environment? What does that really look like? What does it feel like, right? Because people use the word toxic all the time, right? They have one bad conversation. And they say that person is toxic, but toxic isn't something that is like, it's not one bad day, right? It's not one red flag. It's consistent. It's multiple. It's ongoing. It's layered. It's complex. So are you okay with me defining sort of what I think a toxic work environment is? Please. Yeah, absolutely. You're the expert. That's why you're here. And so this is just my definition. It's not like some sort of, you know, beautiful textbook definition, but really a toxic work culture, it's an environment that lacks physical, mental, emotional, and psychological safety. Okay. So that's the first piece. The second piece is it's really a place where employees don't feel interpersonally safe. So when I say interpersonally safe, I mean, they don't feel safe to ask questions. They don't feel safe to share their ideas and their true opinions. They don't feel safe to provide open and honest feedback right? So they don't feel safe to either bring them their whole selves to work, and they don't feel safe to express their actual thoughts and opinions. A toxic work environment is also an environment where disrespect, discrimination, microaggressions, harassment, these are the normative behaviors of the workplace or a department or a team within a workplace. It's also an environment where leaders aren't doing their job, right? Leaders aren't intervening to protect employees and they are not intervening to correct situations. You know, there's lots of meetings that happen where people say things, there's like this undercurrent of disrespect and people plow forward and nobody says anything, right? These are the building blocks of disrespect. Silence signals tolerance. What you permit is what you promote. What you're saying, if you don't say anything, is that behavior is okay, that behavior is welcome, and I'm certainly okay if you talk to me that way, right? So a toxic work environment, as I said, it's not just one incident. It's many incidents. And then lastly, a toxic work environment really tends to be characterized by like a culture that is characterized by a lack of trust, a lack of transparency, and a lack of equity, but at the same time has high levels of stress, burnout, and turnover. So I think probably everybody listening has been like, oh yeah, I've worked a place like that. And I have too. And I have too, right? Okay. We defined toxicity. That's a lot of stuff. So how do you even help people make sense of that because there are, you know, so many layers and you can hear it and go like, I've been through pieces of that. Almost everybody has in a workplace. And it's almost at what point does that stop becoming like a little piece of work? It sometimes doesn't feel right. Like the irritant. And does it just become like, this is a toxic awful place and I'm going to bail or I need to report on it because it's so bad, you know? And I just wonder, like, there's that space where it becomes like metastasizes and maybe people need to focus on that. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes toxicity is brewing, let's say, right? Like it's, it, it's felt, right? The best way you can describe what it feels like to work in a toxic environment really is you can feel it in your body, right? If someone makes a comment to you that 
at first blush, you're not quite sure if it was disrespectful or if it wasn't. Just take cues from how you feel in your body, like how it landed, how it made you feel. Did it make you feel sweaty? Did it make you kind of feel sick inside? Did your stomach plummet? Because these are signs, right? I think normally when I'm called in to remedy what is toxic environment, my role isn't to really remedy it. My role is to really identify what are the root causes. And really, I'm usually brought in on two different fronts. One is there's been an increase in complaints where the organization is faced with the reality that Houston, we do have a problem and we need to figure out what our problem actually is because we're not clearly enough seeing it. And then the second issue is that there are external triggers that demonstrate that there's a problem in the environment and leadership thinks this isn't right. This isn't normal. There's something else going on here and we need to understand what it is. And so then that's when they bring me in. So that would be for something called a workplace assessment. And when I say there are triggers, there are different types of triggers. So for example, increased turnover, and I mean a big spike in turnover. So quite a few people leave at the same time, or a number of people are off on a mental health leave, or you know, a team that has always been very productive and successful, there's a significant dip in their performance, those types of things. So it's like, a it's a blip, but it's a blip that is not of short duration, productivity, motivation, employee happiness, morale, attendance, all those things start to plummet and they can't figure out what's changed. And so they ask me to kind of come in and figure out okay, what has changed? What is causing this? these dips? What's causing this turnover? What is causing this you know, dissatisfaction in the environment? Right. So it may not be acute, awful things have happened. Like that assessment level is sort of, it sounds like a more progressive organization might be like, hey, we should find out because we have some type of data that shows like there's an aberration, which is good. Like that's a level of maturity. Like I don't know the answer, but I know that I should know the answer and I call somebody. And I will say that there are so many more companies now that are more finely attuned to this type of stuff, right? Because they've read the splashy news headlines from everything from professional sports organizations to the Hollywood movie industry to every industry has been plagued by some sort of crazy allegations, right? Some serious allegations. And a lot of companies want to make sure that they're being proactive versus reactive. So you're reactive when there's a workplace investigation because the problem has already happened and now you have to fix it. A lot of companies are developing this internal responsibility to their employees whether because they are very good leaders or because they are being told by legislation that it is their responsibility and there are you know there are fines and there are penalties associated with it so whether they're doing it for very good pollyanna reasons or they're doing it because they have to many companies are doing it and so it is proactive and it is really a health check and a temperature check for the organization and oftentimes I'm not going into very large organizations and doing it across the entire organization, right? I'm doing it in small pockets and teams or a department. And that's really where the focus of an assessment is. And, you know, an assessment is really, it's a proactive process. 
you can have surveys, you can have focus groups, you can have interviews, and you can really ask about all aspects of their work life. So do they feel that they're being treated fairly? Are they experiencing disrespect? If they're experiencing disrespect, who are they experiencing it from? How is it being resolved? How would you describe communication? How would you describe the quality of communication within your department? Is your leader someone who is approachable? How would you describe your relationship with them? If you had a problem, are they someone that you would go to? You know, there's so many different types of questions, including questions around work-life balance or work-life integration, workload issues, all of the things, right? All of these things can inform the way people respond, the way they speak to each other, the way that what they say and what they don't say, like what they do and what they don't do. All of that is a cumulative experience of culture. So, Right, right. You know, it makes me think like you would have seen spikes in all kinds of things that were caused by pandemic. There was a lot of macro external stuff that would have caused the types of challenges, right, for an organization. And they were probably somewhat aware of that happening. And then you'd have the other direction with at any given time, you might find out that, and I, I would guess that root cause sometimes comes down to one toxic human who has flown under the radar and it's just truly awful to work for or with. Is that accurate? There's two ways I want to respond to that. I think one thing is that the pandemic brought a lot of things forward, right? The pandemic was challenging for almost every single person for a whole host of different reasons. And with the exhaustion that that everyone was already experiencing during the pandemic, many employees have less tolerance for at work now. That's my formal way of putting it, right? A lot of employees are so beat down and so tired from the experience that they've had, not by choice, but by circumstance over the last three years, that they aren't going to tolerate and they cannot tolerate because it is the straw that is breaking the camel's back, right? So that's the pandemic. A lot of times assessments will unveil one particularly toxic either employee or leader that is affecting or infecting the environment. And oftentimes it's a really difficult conversation to have because these people tend to be what is known as a toxic rock star, right? So what they do exceptionally, they are revenue generators, they are deal closers, they are results getters, they are the top performer. What they do is not the problem. How they do it is a total problem, right? They are disrespectful. They step on other people to raise themselves. They are rude. They are condescending. They are toxic. And so oftentimes it's very, very difficult because organizations tend to want to retain these people and these people are tending to be strong contributors to the toxic work environment. But a work environment doesn't just become toxic because of one person, right? It is all of the systems around that person that allow it to persist. I would imagine you often can help advise leaders on like, look, if you desperately need to keep this person around, which I would honestly question because like toxic person probably actually isn't adding value as much as you think they are, but you probably need to train and think about them, the leadership teams in general and the danger of, well, you're being seen as 
tolerating this. Like you coddle this awfulness and thus the rest of the humans have no respect for you at all. Well, and I never, I will just say this. I'm a very values-based investigator. I will not tell them to keep their toxic rock star. I will turn the mirror on them and tell them that if they keep them, this is what I promise will happen. It is not a threat. It is a promise because it is already happening. People are losing trust in leadership. They don't believe that they are being protected. They don't believe that their leaders have their back. Leaders are prioritizing they're not prioritizing people over profit. They're not prioritizing people over process. They're not prioritizing people over anything. And you will quickly develop a reputation for being that kind of leader in that kind of organization. And you will find it difficult to attract and retain top talent if you are the kind of employer where the story out there is that you tolerate and accept this kind of behavior and disrespect. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that's going to pop up on, you know, your glass door or some other type of thing. Like people will start to report on that. So I think there maybe was culture a long time ago where you could kind of get away with having internal laundry stay internal. And that's not going to happen anymore. I mean, not in the world that we live in anymore. Right. Even just glass door, all of those things, but even just LinkedIn, right? Like you hear about people's terrible experiences left, right, and center on LinkedIn. So people, if they're curious about what it's like to work somewhere, they don't have to work. They don't have to look very far and they don't have to dig super deep in order to find out the real goods. And in the same way for employers who take these steps where they're being proactive, they're doing workplace assessments, they're committing the time, effort, money, and resources to fix whatever problems are being surfaced, they're going to develop the reputation for being that employer too. And so it is actually a good thing to do these types of assessments because not only can they help fix what's wrong or help to identify so that you can fix what's wrong, you will also be seen as an employer that is worthy of trust, loyalty, and care. So let me talk about your personal journey. Like, how did you get to do this? I mean, it actually sounds like a really cool job. Like, I feel like I would enjoy this and I think it's necessary and it's sort of unique. Like, what's the path to get there? You know, we often get a lot of questions from audience on what are the lessons learned along the way and like, how'd you get to this thing? Because that sounds like a pretty awesome place to be. So I've been in the field of HR or human resources for 24 years, and it makes me like physically itchy to say that, but it's true. I have been in the field of human resources for 24 years. And you know, at the beginning of my career, I worked in a lot of organizations. I worked in a very large media organization in Canada for many years. I worked for a large telecom company. I worked for consulting agencies, always in the field of HR and investigations were always under my purview. So over the last, I would say, 22 years, I've always been involved in investigations to some degree, mostly as an internal employee at the beginning of my career. In one particular role that I held, it was like, it was basically my dream job, right? Like it gave me all the feels. I had really interesting clients I had really stretch assignments. I was learning and growing a lot. I was just at the height of my game. I was just, I loved my job, but I had a very toxic manager. 
And keep in mind, I was in, in the HR department. So, you know, when I say I had a toxic manager, what I mean is it wasn't just one incident. It was multiple incidents over the course of two years where I was made to feel small, both in public and in private. If I asked for help or I asked for advice, I was penalized. And there were some very pivotal moments for me where I realized that this was not a relationship that I could fix on my own, that it was not something that I could solve on my own. I did try. I went at that manager many, many times from many different ways because I believed that I had a responsibility to be part of the solution. It didn't work out for me. I did go to the higher ups, but I was told to go play nice in the sandbox, put on your big girl pants and go solve the, you know, life's problems yourself. And it got to the point where I decided that I needed to leave for my health, for my mental wellness, just for my peace of mind. And I remember that the day that I tendered my resignation, I felt so much relief, but I felt so much grief. I felt so much relief that I was walking away from this environment and this person that was not good for me. It wasn't good for my career. It certainly wasn't good for my sense of self, my self-confidence or my self-esteem. And so I felt great relief, but I also felt so much grief because this was my dream job, right? It was my dream job supporting dream clients, doing dream work. And I had to leave because of one person. And I remember in those the weeks that followed, because there's a lot of recovery that has to happen when you're in a toxic environment. You just, you're not a rubber band. You don't just snap back to who you were. There's lots of just recovery that has to happen. And I remember thinking, there's got to be a good reason for this, right? Maybe this will make me a more empathetic person. Maybe I will approach investigations a little bit more human-focused or human-centered. I think I was already quite wired to be that person. But what it did was it lit something inside of me. And it lit something inside of me that made it very clear to me that what my legacy in this life is going to be is I want to create healthier, safer, more respectful workplaces, because I know what it does to a person when they don't have that. I went on to work at a couple of different jobs. And then for the first time about seven years ago, I became very disenchanted with the world of HR. I was so bored. I think I did what any normal person does. I decided to take three weeks and eat and hike my way around Italy and try and figure it out. So there was one moment where my husband asked me, so what's the work that lights you up the most? And I said, oh, it's this type of work, you know, investigations, assessments, healthy, safer, respectful workplaces. And he was like, well, why don't you just do that? And so I made a deal with myself because I didn't actually know at that time if I could make a living doing workplace investigations and assessments. So I decided that for six months, I was going to take any work all the work that did not light me up, I was going to take it all and I was going to build a little nest egg. And then I was going to spend the next six months going all in on workplace investigations and assessments to figure out if I could actually make a living doing this. And in the weeks leading up to the six months where I was going to have to go all in, that's when the Me Too movement hit. And I realized quickly that, yes, I can make a living doing this. And that's really how I ended up where I am today, a company of one who loves being a company of one who, you know, spends her days doing the best to live her purpose and create 
healthier, safer, and more respectful workplaces. That is a fantastic story. I love, thank you so much for sharing that. And you know what I love about that is that I have been trying to embrace myself as this type of person who's saying, if you commit to something and you sort of law of attraction and stuff, and I try not to. If you build it, they will come. Well, yeah, like it comes at a war with my being of like, no, no, I'm a logical, like sort of math-based entrepreneur, but also setting myself up for just the full belief and dedication in an idea. And then you see stuff like that, where it's how dedicated is it? Like, I'm going to save, I'm going to build a nest egg and like, boom, right when you need it, like opportunity knocks and you kind of go, is that luck? Is that Provident? I love that entrepreneurial story because I do see things like that. And one of my businesses, like it's all about selling online. And we started in 2019 and people were like, that's stupid. You can't sell on Zoom. And those same people calling back in spring of 2020, <laughs> kind of going, yeah. So that thing you said about selling on Zoom. <laughs> and I just think when you commit to that idea, like that's really important because you open yourself up to the idea of like there in fact is an opportunity and it's not luck. And I saved my money and I saved my thinking and doing in that way. And I had done that right after leaving a ridiculously toxic work environment with the PTSD and the whole, like, I think people should know that, you know, get yourself out. It's not worth it because you will face trust issues and all kinds of stuff and need therapy just from these relationships. Work relationships are really important. And I've had that experience. Yeah, hundred percent. From my story, I feel really strongly two pieces. One, that that situation with my toxic boss, it had to happen, right? I needed to understand it personally. I needed to understand the impact personally, because I actually think that's what makes me so good at what I do, right? It's not that I bring all that baggage to every investigation and assessment that I do, but I know what it's like. I know what is needed. I know what didn't happen in my situation. And then the second thing I really like firmly believe about my story is that the universe absolutely had my back. No question about it. I was meant for this. This was my time. This was meant for me. I love that. I can't do better than that. That's very, that's poetic and I'm just like on point and I want everybody just to think about that and love on it. Before I let you go, I always ask guests, it's just if you put on your future hat and kind of look at what's coming up, like you, I believe everybody in their expertise and their arena is gathering intel that is useful for every other B2B human and leader. And so what I like to draw out at the end is what should be on everybody's radar that maybe isn't because of your unique perspectives. You know, I don't want to repeat, but I would just say for every leader out there, you are the gatekeepers of culture. You are the gatekeepers of values and you are the gatekeepers of safety, right? And so take your job as a leader very seriously. Be intentional with your time. Be intentional with how you approach your employees, how you listen to employees, how you be intentional about the way that you manage, right? Don't do it to just check a box. Really want to deeply understand how your employees as humans are, because you can mitigate a lot of 
the reasons that I have to visit organizations if you are an intentional leader and you are committed to being someone that they can count on, being someone that they can trust in both the big and the small moments. If your employees trust you, they will come to you. They will talk to you about the things that are causing them stress. And then it is on you to act, right? Even if you don't know exactly what to do, the answer isn't shoving it under the car- carpet and hoping that it will magically go, in, go away. Escalate it, figure it out, take some action. Even if it's messy, even if it's clunky, even if it's really imperfect, do something because doing nothing, it just makes you part of the problem. I love that. You are masterful at these sound bites. This is so good. You must have said these things a lot of times. So I love it. I know I appreciate the advice. I think the insights are, are so on point. If folks are resonating, you know, from the audience, they want to reach out, get in touch with you. What's the best channels to do that? Well, you can find me through my website, hrology.ca, and you can always find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Fantastic. Syrah, thank you so much. This was awesome. Love the insights and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.